start the recording. Knock on wood. Oh, hey! <laughs> I hope this is the best Christmas ever. I hope so, too. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House, where today we begin stringing up a deep dive into Rankin Bass's 1980 special, Pinocchio's Christmas. I am buxom and unusually lightning susceptible feline Mike Westfall, and joining me to add to the confusion this special brings are a pair of other mics. First, to help make sense of this curious Rankin Bass retrofit, it's Michael D. Giovanni. Hey there, D. Joe. Hello, Mike. Uh, I've got to say, I'm a little traumatized still knowing that Pinocchio has a saucy little mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And that laughter you hear is from the bearded puppet master pulling the strings of too many other podcasts to count. It's Michael May. Hello, Michael. Hey, you know, I just I've been really struggling this Christmas season. I just I never know what gifts to buy to you. (laughs) Sometimes I ask myself that same question. (laughs) You sing it to yourself in the mirror. Perhaps. Okay. (laughs) You're doing it right then. (laughs) He sings back and that's when it gets a little weird. But we'll get to that in a bit. So I think, DJ, it was you who first name dropped this one to me. And I hadn't seen it since I was very, very little. Has Pinocchio's Christmas been an annual watch for you? No, it hasn't been until recently. I had a, uh, a DVD collection like Christmas favorites, I think it was. It was like a red case, and it was it had a Year Without a Santa Claus, The Grinch, and things like that. And then they littered a couple like more obscure ones, including Pinocchio's Christmas. And I was like, my gosh, I I remember seeing it as a kid, but I hadn't watched it in years. So now it's become a little bit of an annual tradition. Maybe the last five five plus years, I would say, ten years. Okay. Yeah, I had not seen this one. I don't have it on DVD or anything. I found a copy that I watched that was taped off ABC Family when it was on that 25 Days of Christmas. It was one of those early morning spots when nobody's watching. So throw this one in there. It counts. (laughs) (laughs) Michael May, what's your history with this special? Almost exactly the same as DJ's, except for the part about remembering it as a kid, because I don't think that I had ever heard of it until... Um, I had on this DVD collection. I think I must have this exact same one that DJ has, um, which, you know, which I bought for like how the great Stole Christmas is on there. You're without a Santa Claus, some of those. Um, but yeah, I just got these weird little ones that I'd never heard of before, like Pinocchio's Christmas leprechauns, Christmas gold, which is uh, <laughs> a personal favorite. Um, yeah. So I've, I've, you know, put it on a few times, like every once in a while, every few years I'll, Say, you know what, I just want to go through all of the stuff, all the Christmas stuff that I own, and I'll try to like shove it all in, in in the season. And so I've watched this a couple of times just for that reason. That's an interesting little mix where it's the Grinch, but it's a bunch of Rankin Bass ones on top of that. It, yes, that is interesting. And I, I have no idea what that's about. But it's a great collection. Yeah, it's- Bottom of the Walmart bin. But Yeah, <laughs> yeah I got to look yeah. into that. But... Pinocchio's Christmas premiered December 3rd, 1980 on ABC. Uh, And last year, AMC picked it up for its best Christmas ever block and aired the original cut, the 
cut I watched from ABC Family apparently cut out a couple of songs for time, including one that I found later on YouTube, where Pinocchio imagines teaching Santa's toys to dance while repeatedly singing Dancing. We are yeah. dancing, and that's it. Dancing. Let's go dancing. Dancing. Let's go dancing. Let's go dancing. Dancing, dancing, dancing. So, I didn't miss too much there. So this special tells us the story of Pinocchio's first Christmas as a living puppet. Oh, sorry, I mean living marionette. They make that distinction early and often over the next 40 minutes or so. Hmm. That was a secret word on Pee-wee's Playhouse. We'd all lose our voices, but <laughs> I think this is the first time I ever remember hearing the word marionette. So this special already unlocked a whole new world to my very young Muppet enthusiast self. But Yeah, they, and they really enforce the yeah. marionette term. I mean, it said a lot. I guess they didn't have the trademark to call him uh, a puppet. A puppet, I, maybe. <laughs> and they do use the word puppet later, but again, it's much more sparingly than the yeah. longer marionette. I don't know if they were trying to sound more Italian. <laughs> <laughs> that could but be it, I guess. It could be, but then a lot of the names of these characters are like it. They sound like they're translated from Italian words. <laughs> but yeah. It, it, marionette is specifically the kind of puppet that Pinocchio is. Like that is technically correct, and right. I feel like like a lot of this 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 special this story is surprisingly faithful to uh, you know. Like I've never read the Pinocchio novel, uh, but from what I know about it, like a lot of the the um, the adventures that he gets into there you know, appear in here slightly modified. So. Uh, and Rankin Bass did a lot of that kind of stuff. Like I remember watching—I forget what the name of the program was. It was it was a two D animation um, thing. That I think he used to come on like Sunday nights or something. But it was like it was basically just adapting like classic literature, especially like kind of children's literature. Um, so like there was always well often and not always, but there was often this kind of educational angle to a lot of what Rankin Bass did, where like they kind of wanted to be faithful to the source material. Yeah, and I find the story kind of drifts back and forth where at times it's a lot more concerned with his origins. And I found myself yeah. going, wait a minute, what does this have to do with Christmas again? Like, <laughs> you know, it just, so the, it felt like they really wanted to honor the story of Pinocchio, but then kind of, you know, after five minutes went, Oh, wait a minute, they got to talk about a Christmas tree for a second. Like, <laughs> That's how it, yeah, that's the same impression that I got, where is they're trying, they're so wrapped up into explaining Pinocchio, like we all haven't heard him from the Disney movie that, 1940 that came out, so 40 oh. years before this, we're all familiar with it by this point, but it was very true to its roots now that I'm looking back at the adventures of Pinocchio, uh, the 1883 story. So it surprised me when I looked back on Wikipedia for this. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've got to say, right out of the gate, I noticed the animation here from Rankin Bass is, it's a stop motion special, but the animation of Pinocchio running and everyone else seems a lot more fluid than other Rankin Bass specials, even recently before this one. This was... Yeah. Okay. It looks great. Like, I will say that. I mean, 
definitely this one from a design perspective and an execution perspective, it looks really good. Uh, the The town that they're in, that medieval village place, just is so expertly designed. At times, I actually started to go, are they reusing elements of Burgermeister, Meisterburger's town, maybe? They, but They might have. But... It look you. You're right. I think the actual animation itself is top notch. I agree. I did notice that. I did notice uh, that the t- this whole town set that they built. They really used. They have a an overhead shot early on, and so they got their money's worth. Mm-hmm. So let's meet the voice of Pinocchio, a kid by the name of Todd Porter whose acting credits span only eight years, according to IMDb, starting the year before this as the John to Sandy Duncan's Peter Pan. Uh, And then I didn't realize this until after watching it again. Todd Porter is best known to me as a Philly area kid from a local TV show I used to watch called Star Stuff. Uh, (laughs) it's, It's local TV from early... 80s, late 70s. So you you know what to expect here. But in this show, this kid's TV picks up transmissions from a girl from the future living in a space colony. And they communicate with each other and show each other short TV snippets like Laurel and Hardy or something. I immediately want to find this show, by the way. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. (laughs) Star Stuff, it's called. Uh, He was also on the show Wiz Kids as a computer geek kid and in a 1981 movie, Earthbound, where he and his grandfather, Burl Ives, take in a family of stranded aliens. So somehow, in his short career, Pinocchio is one of Todd Porter's more realistic roles. I was going to (laughs) say, this kid is really linked to sci-fi, isn't he? Yeah. Um, You know what? He made a pretty decent Pinocchio. I mean, there was was at no time did I ever want to punch Pinocchio in the face. So to (laughs) to his credit, um, he did a pretty good job. That's a pretty good skill like for child actors especially in animation it's just like how punchable is your face because a lot of the rank and bass child actors they get i feel like they just have someone's kid come in and read some lines just like oh thank you mother <laughs> no. right kid was good and pinocchio is typically a Fairly punchable character for me too. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he is kind of. He's even the Disney version. Yeah, yeah. And here it's snowing, and Pinocchio asks Geppetto why the rain is fuzzy, and that's my <laughs> new favorite description of snow: cold, fuzzy rain. <laughs> um, you know, I gotta say, one of the things right out of the gates that I noticed that, um. This has a lot of the familiar hallmarks of the Rankin and Bass specials. Uh, the obviously the look and feel. Some of the voices are are familiar. Yes. They some of the returning favorite uh, cast members. But right away, something that is a bit of a deviation is no narrator. Oh yeah. Like generally, a lot of their Christmas specials, there's always a figure that's kind of telling us that story. Whether it's Mrs. Claus in A Year Without a Santa Claus, uh, the snowman and Rudolph, um, what is it, Red Skeleton doing? Uh, oh yeah, Santa Rudolph Claus is coming to town. Yeah, like there's th- uh, this one. I was almost, I kind of almost was expecting there to be 
Jiminy Cricket or somebody to be our narrator, but it ju- it doesn't have that. So that right on the right uh, on the early goings feels different. It does. You know, they could have used the cricket. The cricket is in this, uh, and we'll get to him later. But that's where he could have been used. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they should have had the cricket be like Don Knotts. There you go. Oh man, that would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, even Geppetto would have been fine, but Geppetto here played by George S. Irving, better known as the voice of Heat Miser in some other thing we'll get to at some other time, I guess. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> as Geppetto explains snow and Christmas to his wooden son, we see they're being watched by those tricksters, the fox and cat. And the fox here is Alan Swift, who was the voice of Simon Bar Sinister from Underdog. Uh, and are either of you familiar with the Rankin Bass movie Mad Monster Party? I love that movie so much. Yeah, I'm I'm aware of it. Yeah, okay. He did most of the voices in that that weren't Boris Karloff or Phyllis Diller. Nice. And the cat is a woman named Pat Bright, and this is apparently her last role. She mostly acted in the 50s and 60s, but for my age bracket, she was a voice in another Rankin-Bass special. She was Mother Mouse in Twas the Night Before Christmas, and nice. that's it. I always think it's uh, Sally Struthers when I'm oh, wow. to it. Well, it kind of I... looks like her now that you mention that. She's got, got that vocal quality, too. Yeah, yeah kind of... you're right. And she kind of emotes and like has got the personification of her a little bit now that... Uh-huh. You mentioned that. That's really kind of accurate. Wow. <laughs> what are we thinking here, though? Are like as far as villains using air quotes from Rankin and Bass? Are these guys kind of bottom feeders a little bit? Oh like, yeah. But I feel like that's kind of how they were in every instance of Pinocchio I've ever really watched, except maybe Disney. They're a little more classier. I don't, I don't want to say that, but yeah, at least the, the Fox. The Fox. Was. Yeah, the fox is Honest John. Is that what he calls himself yes. in the Disney one? Yes. Um, yeah, he's just kind of a little bit sleazier, mm-hmm. which in, in in a cool way. Um, so yeah, he he's got some <laughs> total air quotes class <laughs> about him, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, they they seem a little generic in this, except that I really do like um, Pat Bright's voice. Yeah, yeah, he's got a good voice for sure. It feels like the fox is trying, or Alan Swift's trying to get that classy element out of him, but it, it mm-hmm. you still have that bottom feeder element to him. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But the fox whispers his plan to sell Pinocchio as the perfect Christmas present to some rich father to give his kids, and I gotta say, it's not a terrible plan. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> it is actually a pretty good MacGuffin for the story, you're right. But in my own experience with my own kids, Pinocchio is going to end up sitting in a corner by January. (laughs) Back to Geppetto, who sends a reluctant Pinocchio off to school and then starts worrying about what to get his boy for Christmas. And that was the song Michael alluded to. Our first song of the special, a duet with Geppetto's own reflection in the mirror. (laughs) I never know what gifts to buy, do you? Mm, Never. On all my lists are scarves and ties. You too. Me too. It's pretty bad. Yeah, it's... Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Heatmiser here, and he really sounds like Heatmiser when he sings. Like, that's when you can really tell 
Uh, it's uh, George R. Is it George S. Irvine? Is that who it Irving? Is that who it is? Correct. Um, you can when he starts singing, it's very obviously you can pick up the heat miser notes, but none of his songs in this are particularly strong, really. And it does that thing that a lot of Rankin Bass songs do, or too many of them anyway, where like they'll do this whole song about something, and then in three lists, like three words of dialogue after the song, they'll completely undo everything the song built up. So <laughs> he's like singing by, I never know what gifts to buy. It is such a hard thing. And da 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 da. And then he just, at the end, he goes, Oh, I know what to do. And it reminds me of, um, my, the, the worst offender is in Year Without a Santa Claus, where Mrs. Claus sings the whole thing about anybody can be a Santa Claus. And she's got this great plan. She's going to like dress up as Santa Claus and she's going to like take his place and everything. And then the L show up and says, Oh, that's kind of silly. She goes, Oh, you're right. Never mind. <laughs> uh, this one started to unnerve me when both Geppetto and his own reflection started singing at the same time in the same pitch. And it was like bad feedback. I never know what gifts to buy, do you? <laughs> yeah. I, th- what I would have loved was a cutaway to someone walking by his window and looking in and going, what is he doing? <laughs> Great. I feel like that would not be out of place in any Rankin Pass special. A- absolutely Just someone not. walking right. by. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they do love their double takes in uh, Rankin Pass. Oh, yeah. Especially during songs, now that I think about it. That's like all Frosty the Snowman songs have double takes. (laughs) What? (laughs) Loses half a mustache. So, we get through that conundrum, again, in about three lines. And then Geppetto ends up selling his own boots to buy Pinocchio and arithmetic book. Yay, math! Merry Christmas. (laughs) Guys, what was the most disappointing gift you've ever gotten? I'm going to go first because I have uh, I don't have a really great example. Like I wish I had an awful story like somebody gave me a half empty box of used crayons or something. But <laughs> I, I've never never had anything that traumatic. So I'm going to with the uh, the traditional socks and underwear. Um, yeah. But uh, really any kind of clothing is a bad gift for me. I'm pretty picky about what I wear. But um, and sometimes I get like gift cards for places that I don't go to. But. I've been pretty lucky. I, I, I was racking my brain trying to think of like what the worst gift is. And, and I'm hoping DJ's got a good story because I don't. Sadly, I, mine is a little more traumatic. So thanks <laughs> oh, for no. setting me up there. Yeah. Uh, we were, it was Christmas like dinner. And this is when we get together with like the larger family, like cousins and grandparents and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother had gave uh, gifts to all of her grandkids. So we're all opening them at the same time and everyone opens socks and she goes, Oh, but look inside. And all the kids put their hands inside the socks and start pulling out like handfuls of silver dollars. And my socks were just socks. (laughs) (laughs) So either nanny, Forgot, or I clearly was her least favorite. (laughs) (laughs) That is sad. There's a dollar-shaped hole at the bottom of my sock. (laughs) At least it wasn't like actual coal or something. (laughs) That's true. A deliberate message. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember being that heartless. Yeah, (laughs) I'm watching you. Now I had to think back, but when I was really little, there were these plush monster toys they were called alpha critters where 
each one's body was shaped like a letter of the alphabet, so you could get your initial if you wanted. I wanted a little plush letter M critter. Christmas morning comes, no sign of a little monster letter, letter M. Instead, there were alphabet-shaped cookie cutters. Santa misread my note, and it said, oh. sent me alpha cutters. And that's when I learned about proofreading. <laughs> oh, that's good. Santa could have Sweetie, used- do you like it? Sweetie, look at you. like That's exactly what you wanted. Not even close. Uh, I've got to say, as we're continuing on this thread about Geppetto's terrible gift, the other thing I kind of noted here is it's the entire opening of this special establishes that this is Pinocchio's first Christmas. Yes. Like Geppetto is excited to show him the traditions. And then he goes and confuses everything by giving him a gift like a week before Christmas. Like Pinocchio even goes, um, it's not Christmas. You know, it's <laughs> it's, it's not even Christmas yet. I was like, dude, you're this is the guy's first Christmas. Why are you can why are you making this all confusing here by like <laughs> That's a great point. Well, Pinocchio is clearly disappointed in getting a math book, so he wants <laughs> he also wants to get Geppetto something in return, so he immediately goes out to try and sell his book. For money to buy Geppetto a gift. Uh, first off, that's not how Gift of the Magi is supposed to work. <laughs> but more importantly, we witness Pinocchio's first lie of the special when he tells the bookseller Geppetto changed his mind and wants to return the book. But his nose only gets longer for a second or two and then it goes back. I don't remember the rules to Pinocchio's lie detecting nose, but I don't remember him being allowed a mulligan. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. This is a prequel, I guess we'll reveal now, but we'll get to that later. So maybe this was the mulligan. Yeah, because it's a little weird. If it, if all you do is it gets bent out of shape for a second and then goes back in place, I might be willing to lie for a little bit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, Pinocchio runs into the fox and the cat, whom he already knows, but they claim to have fallen from heaven. And Pinocchio buys that, making this... <laughs> of course he does. Making this the first time I've ever seen that pickup line actually work. <laughs> the, the fox and the cat convinced Pinocchio an angel who sent them told them he should bury the coins he got back for the book in the snow, and when the sun sets, they'll grow into a whole Christmas tree full of coins. So he does that, and we get the big earworm of the special, Knock on Wood. Gonna get lucky, knock on wood, knock on wood, knock on wood. Gonna get lucky, knock on wood, gonna be rich and famous. Oh yeah, this is the best song of the special, in my humble opinion. It is friggin' catchy, you have to admit. (laughs) 100% agree. This is... The one thing I remember from this special, 30 years later or so, I had not seen it, but I still had Gonna Get Lucky, Knock On One, playing in the back of my head every Christmas out of nowhere. Or anytime I find money on the ground, I guess. But Yeah, this this is reason, this song, this number is 
almost a compelling enough reason to to watch this annually around the holidays because <laughs> it's a it's a pretty good little ditty. I, I I would challenge people to not get a little like into it. Like it it is an earworm. This song for sure. It's it's not a Christmas song, but it's about Christmas as much as Jingle Bells is, so it works. Sure. Uh, and it's during this song that Pinocchio crosses paths with Maestro Fire Eater, local puppeteer extraordinaire, and my first thought was, finally, someone said the word puppet. Lord, help us all when puppets start to think. You want to be rich and famous, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Maestro Fire Eater? That is apparently an English translation from this character's actual Italian name. Real? I, I think that name is awesome. I gotta, I, I gotta be honest. Oh, yeah. And he is a great character design in classic Rankin Bass fashion. Like, it's like as soon as you look at his mug, you're like, "This is pure Rankin and Bass." Like, it, it's a great design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Maestro's yeah. voice is our headliner in the credits, Alan King, whom. I know mostly as a Tonight Show regular during the Carson years, and he was Andy Stone in Casino. I don't know if you guys know him from anything else. I I, I, I don't. It's like he's one of those guys that you just, you, you know Alan King. He's almost like, for me, he's like Zsa Zsa Gabor. It's just like, what are they from? I don't know. They're just. They're just them. Like, yeah, uh, you know him, and he's got a pretty recognizable voice, but. I knew him. I, I I could place him from the Johnny Carson Tonight Show era thing, but I couldn't have named a movie that he was in. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Like, I probably saw him on a billion talk shows and game shows in the 70s, but that's that it. was yeah. it. Yeah. They don't list game shows on, on Wikipedia. That's what they need to do. That's yeah. a shame. So, of course, the maestro is fascinated with Pinocchio and tells him, I can make you rich and famous. But Pinocchio tells him, heck no, I'm already rich. Got to go check out my money tree now. Bye. <laughs> and I'm expecting this character to take that Stromboli role from Disney that we're familiar mm-hmm. with. And while he's got that sneaky showman sort of aura about him, he's not evil-hearted as Stromboli was in that. Right. He doesn't stop Pinocchio from walking away from him. Did you guys get that same vibe? Yeah, I expected him to. Just I'm so familiar with the Disney version, and it's clearly the same, you know, the, the same character being lifted from the original. Right. But again, this version, uh, I feel I think my understanding is this is a little bit more faithful, whereas Disney kind of villained them up. Okay, but he does feel when you kind of get uh, later in the the special, it feel his presence feels sort of pointless. He doesn't add a lot to the story in the end. No, he really doesn't. They even try to shoehorn another scene out of him, and it's just sort of a matter-of-fact thing to move one tiny piece of the plot along. Right. And again, here I'm expecting him to, like, pull Pinocchio back in and kind of, I don't know, trap him there, but he's just like, ah, there he goes. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah, shakes <laughs> shakes fist and star wipe and we're out. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, back at the non-existent money tree, the fox digs up the money just in time for Pinocchio to show back up and explains, oh, the tree didn't grow. The angel said it should so long as you had never played hooky from school, right? Womp womp. And that's a pretty great con. I, I was I was pretty happy with the... Uh, 
that explanation and just the way they pulled that off because like yeah i don't know because clearly pinocchio has done a lot of stuff and so they made it seem like it was his fault and i don't know it just it seemed very smart of the cat or the fox in that moment yeah but i think that was the introduction to the concept of well, Pinocchio has had trouble being good this whole time, and that's how right. they introduce it. They build on that a little later, but now finding himself back at zero coins, Pinocchio decides to go back to Maestro Fire Eater to earn money to buy Geppetto a Christmas gift. And he's immediately made the star of his Christmas production as Sir Larry Olive Tree, the living marionette. <laughs> what a name! <laughs> That's got to be a Lawrence Olivier reference, right? Oh, I did. <laughs> wow. I didn't even. That's got to be. That w- went way over my head then, too. Because I was like, this guy's terrible at character names. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty stretchy connection, but I, I feel like that must be what he was going for. No, you're probably sure. right. Uh, but Pinocchio gets a classic bout of stage fright in the I don't want them to laugh at me variety, to which the maestro replies in song, Let him laugh. Let him laugh. Let him laugh. Let him laugh till they fall down on the floor. Let him laugh. Let him laugh. Let him laugh till their laughs get all sore. And we get our I Got No Strings replacement montage with a lot more puppet on Pinocchio slapstick violence than I remember. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, a younger kid might watch this and label the maestro as a bad guy, but really he's just singing the song Let Him Laugh to try and convince Pinocchio this will make you a star. This is the reaction you want. And I don't think there's any malicious intent from this character at all. I don't think so. Yeah, I didn't get that either. I think all he thinks is... Hey man, you're going to be a star. He's trying to like increase his confidence. He's thinking about I'm going to be able to pack this place. I don't I don't see a malicious. I never really pictured this guy as much of a villain. No. Uh, I've got to add my favorite parts about this so-called Christmas production are the alligator foot puppet followed by Don Quixote and an Indian snake charmer. All beloved Christmas icons. <laughs> now I'm thinking in my head, all right, which play is weirder? This one or whichever one Lucy's trying to get Charlie Brown to direct with a Christmas queen? <laughs> my disappointment around this is like, Let Him Laugh is just, it's not a really great song. And especially with the title so similar to Make Him Laugh from Singing in the Rain, which is a great song. Oh, yeah. Um, like I was... I, Always when I when Pinocchio expresses concern about laughter and Maestro uh, Fire Eater starts singing, you know, breaking into song, I just I, I kind of expect it to be make him laugh, and mm. of course that's not realistic. <laughs> but well, that'll do it. That'll set this you song up is a letdown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it feels like one of those. This let him laugh is such a tier two Rankin and Bass song right like there's always they always do like on average i don't know what five six songs per special and you get a couple bangers and then there's always a couple of them that you go all right you know we can go to the bathroom break here like this feels (laughs) a little kind of uh, yeah it's b b minus c plus sort of quality song this is uh, Jessica singing at the fountain from uh, Santa oh. Claus is coming to town. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
good comparison. That's another one I haven't gotten to yet, but next year. Uh, All right. We uh, Well, as Pinocchio gets upset that everyone's laughing at him, the maestro brings out his cute little girl puppet, Julieta, to cheer him up and call him a wonderful actor, and Pinocchio immediately decides, well, if you say it's okay to make them laugh, then it's okay with me, too, which I get it, the little boy puppet is charmed by the little girl puppet, but at the same time, he seems completely aware that someone's pulling her strings here, literally. Like, as the show is going on, we see that he knows that's a puppet, but... I think it's clearly been established at this point that Pinocchio's not very bright. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> like, this is where the line gets blurry. It was just like, you know he's controlling her, but she's making you feel better. I guess, I don't know. That's what snaps in his brain to play along. Yeah, in his defense, hey, puppets are pretty powerful. Like, I'm thinking about all the footage of Mr. Rogers doing public appearances and doing Daniel Tiger. He's got the, the animal on his hand. He's oh, yeah. moving his mouth and kids are just like completely honed in as if Daniel Tiger is a real being. And it's and Pinocchio. Like I, I, I forgive him a little bit for that because uh, like he wants to believe this girl is real and he's, he's buying into it. He's getting caught up in the moment. I can, right. I, I guess I can see that. That's a good point. And I recall, some very young child describing Jim Henson when she saw him as the guy who holds up Kermit while Kermit is working. Mm. So th- that could be the same thing going on here. Yeah. But as like, a- you know, but you, you kind of want to buy into the lie of it. Like you, you want to buy, buy into yeah. the artifice of it. Yeah. Uh, and as the show's going on, we cut to a distraught Geppetto. Remember him? Main character's father figure. Frantically <laughs> searching the seemingly empty streets for Pinocchio, and he's directed toward the bright lights of the puppet show advertising Living Marionette. Sees, <laughs> sees a poster of Sir Larry Olivetree. Oh, I guess that's not him. Featuring a hand-drawn portrait of his own son in a different shirt and decides, that's ah, got to be someone else. Yeah. <laughs> Must be some other different miracle of nature localized to my town. I'm also impressed at how quick they turned around this show, right? Like they've got posters oh, yeah. made up and like sign. It's like holy cow! And a, clearly, everybody is at this because Geppetto is virtually alone on the streets. Yeah, except for the one guy who walked out early. <laughs> right? I don't. Know. It's just like, oh yeah, it's over there. <laughs> He's seen enough. Uh, well, we cut to after the Christmas show, and Pinocchio explains. He wouldn't have made it through if it hadn't been for Julietta now hanging on the wall with the other string puppets. So the kid gets it again, but he asks if she'll be with him in every show, and the maestro replies, no, he needs to turn her into one of the three wise men for another (laughs) upcoming Christmas performance, which must still require the services of Don Quixote and a snake charmer. (laughs) What's he going to do, turn the alligator into a wise man? (laughs) <laughs> no, there. You know the classic tale. There was alligators in the manger. It's, I mean, it's there pretty it true. Yeah. It's, it's the Mister Bean manger. It's like the nativity play from Love Actually. Got- oh, I went with Mister Bean, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love Actually is a good one. I think about King Spider Man and the octopus. Of course, <laughs> the, the first lobster. <laughs> <laughs> 
Maestro even offers to show Pinocchio how he plans on making her into a wise man and walks off to get some paint. Pinocchio takes the puppet and runs out of there. Heck yeah. I never thought I'd be siding with the maestro as much as I am here, but he's not entirely wrong to call the cops thinking Pinocchio is a thief. No, that's pretty accurate. (laughs) uh, It is. I still root for Pinocchio. Like, I I want him to to find love with his wooden puppet. There you go. His intentions (laughs) are pure in spirit. Right. As Pinocchio seeks to preserve Julietta's form and slides down the snowy outskirts of his village to the Forest of Enchantment. I gotta say, all of this once again, the snowy forest... The the Forest of Enchantment. This all looks great. Mm-hmm. It does. Especially when you get up in there. It looks re- really, really good. Oh, those snowy meadows and rolling hills. I loved that. I thought that stuff just looked phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah. I kind of want a whole series of Rankin-Bass cartoons about the Forest of Enchantment. There you yeah. go. Which, according to the cop who was chasing him, is haunted, so he's good forever. But mm-hmm. according to Pinocchio... It's his birthplace, and we get a deep dive into his origin story, which turns out to be much more faithful than the original Adventures of Pinocchio story, Mm. Uh, which, doing the math, came out less than 60 years before the Disney adaptation, so it was still kind of fresh in pop culture when it became a Disney movie. Mm. Uh, But for the unfamiliar, Pinocchio began life as a sentient branch cut from an enchanted tree sold to a Mr. Cherry, a carpenter, who begins to carve a table leg, and that apparently tickles the wood, which laughs out loud, and this is now the most adorable ghost story. (laughs) (laughs) This part is slightly charming, though, I will say. I kind of, I did, I did like this little sequence. Uh, well, a rightly terrified carpenter gives the laughing log to Geppetto, who comes seeking to buy it, but Cherry hands it to him for free. And then the story gets a bit more familiar, only with Pinocchio already alive while Geppetto is carving him into a puppet. And this Pinocchio, like the source material, is much more mischievous than Disney's. So he befriends the fox and the cat when his antics caused other kids to not want to play with them. And. When confronted by our talking cricket trying to offer sage advice, Pinocchio throws a book at him, prompting the cricket to just leave the house. Yeah, that this this part kind of, if you're not super familiar with the lore of Pinocchio, this will throw you for a loop. Because you're going to be like, wait a minute, aren't Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket like, buddies <laughs> like this is it feels like hey jiminy crickets in it he throws a book at him the guy's like i am out of here <laughs> and it storms off You're, i was sort of kind of confused you'd be confused somewhat well in the original story pinocchio hits it kills the cricket with a book so it's a hammer right? yeah throws a hammer oh it's it. a hammer yes yeah a hammer so this kills is a happier gray area <laughs> and then the cricket's ghost comes back and appears that's in the rest right of the, story. the ghost is a ghost Jeez. Disney dialed that down just a bit. (laughs) Uh, But that's Pinocchio's backstory as told by him to the still puppet Julieta as he laments the current trouble he's in. Uh, And then we cut to Geppetto still searching for him as he passes a tavern where the fox and the cat are making a business deal with the sinister coachman. Here, a slave driver who 
works for a rich Italian duke seeking to buy a Christmas gift for his neglected children. Is it safe to assume that this is the first Christmas special, Rankin special, Rankin and Bass special for kids that has a bar scene in it? No. Um, Because <laughs> earlier this season, we did the Cricket on the Hearth, and that has a bar scene in it as well. It does? Oh, yes. Uh, that was their second one right out of the gate after Rudolph, but that was traditionally animated. But it, it's got some surly animals in a bar, and yeah, I will let you go check that one out. Is uh, that a doozy? I've never <laughs> seen that one. That sounds good. Well, you've piqued my, you've piqued my interest. Oh, yes. Me too. <laughs> now, the slave driver here is voiced by Rankin Bass regular Bob McFadden. I believe the last time... I talked about him on this podcast is on the Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. He was Tingler the Sound Imp. Uh, but most will know him best as the voice of Snarf and Frankenberry. Bring Pinocchio to my sleigh by tomorrow noon without fail if you know what's good for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. This guy's a, a this guy's a classic voice as soon as you hear him. Uh, here he's doing kind of this grovelly Eastern European accent. For our sleigh driver. Uh, and Bob McFadden's also the voice of our unnamed talking cricket, who, for some reason, has a New York accent in 19th century Italy. You're a mess, kid. You'll break your papa's heart. You'll end up in the poorhouse or jail. Take it from me. Start changing your ways. <laughs> yeah. nice. That was sort of an odd choice, I will say. It was. Uh, and true to the source material, again, he's not named. He's just talking cricket. It's Disney who gave theirs one after a euphemism for baby Jesus, whose birthday this movie celebrates. So <laughs> Full circle. Yep. So the fox and the cat find Pinocchio in the forest of enchantment and tell him to bring Julietta to life with a secret medicine called Essence of Back to life a dime a uh, sleigh leaving tomorrow, Christmas Eve, can take him to it. And now it's the fox and the cat's turn to sing It's the Truth. It's the unvarnished truth, the naked truth. Oh, me lightning strike me down. It's the honest truth, the sober truth. Oh, me lightning strike me down. It's the truth. Yeah, this song... Uh, at times, it feels like the fox and the cat are almost singing off key. Like they can't, om it's almost like they're not matching the music. Yeah. I found this one a little off putting uh, somewhat. And I will also say, probably one of the most violent musical numbers ever <laughs> in a Christmas. But like, how many times do they get struck by lightning and trees falling on, on carcasses here? That's that's the joke of this entire song. It's a joke for it's the truth. We're telling the truth or may lightning strike me down, followed by lightning repeatedly hitting just the cat for comic relief. About 50 times, yeah. like you're 50 times. I mean, this is like the Wiley Coyote bad at times. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't remember the lightning strike part of this song, like another earwormy thing like the whole knock on wood song the part that i hung on to for some reason was the line tell you what here's a written guarantee for some reason i had that picture of the word guarantee written on a paper in stop motion and then disappearing ink 
not cat getting struck by lightning multiple times. <laughs> File away for 30 years, but... Before Pinocchio can go anywhere, an eerie blue light appears, causing the already lightning-struck fox and cat to run away and Pinocchio to faint. It's a Dementor, no... It's the Blue <laughs> Fairy, here called Lady Azora, and voiced by Diane Leslie, who is known for playing Lady Azora in Pinocchio's Christmas. <laughs> and that's it. I planted the seedling from which sprang the tree that gave you life. So she revives Pinocchio and explains she's the one who planted the tree he grew on and brings in her assistant, the Talking Cricket, who is Dr. Cricket now. He's a doctor. You didn't go through six years of the finest cricket medical school in all of Italy to be called Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Mike, how dare you not yet mention the monkey butler? Oh, the yeah, okay. <laughs> Lady Azura has two manservants, let's call them. One is a monkey and one is a poodle, and they both have, like, the powdered wig haircut yeah. and... They're, like, standing on their hind legs in these very trim suits. They don't say a word. Their eyes are closed the whole time. They're always holding a pillow with something on it. Oh, yeah. these two are fantastic. Absolutely. Why aren't there action figures of these characters? <laughs> oh, man. There should be. Be hard to kind of move their legs, though, the way that they're... I don't know. <laughs> Need a few points on them. But uh, both Lady Azora and Dr. Cricket, and I guess her manservants, want to know why Pinocchio ran away from the police and stole Julietta. And here's where we get the old growing nose as Pinocchio lies again. Well, you see, she's really not a puppet. She's this, um, lost princess. Come off it. No, she is! What the... I know we haven't really gotten a lot of Christmas spirit in this special so far, but Pinocchio's nose sprouts holly leaves and berries while he lies. And oh. they get too outlandish, so that's neat. I didn't even make that connection that it was holly. You're right. I mean, as someone who's trying to find any connection I can to Christmas in this, because, <laughs> again, like you both mentioned earlier, it's just... Something that they need to keep bringing up to remind you, hey, this is a Christmas special. It's true. But Pinocchio sets his nose right again by telling the truth about how he just wanted to buy something for his dad for Christmas. And Lady Azora tells him, you don't need to pay for something. Just give him your love, the perfect gift for Christmas Day. And here's our next song. Put your love in a poem, roses are red. Put your love in a letter Words never said Whisper love when you're feeling shy Sing of love and the world will cry Yeah, this is actually the Jessica by the Fountain song. <laughs> 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 It's got that same tempo, and it's, uh, yeah. There's always one kind of tearjerker ballad in these things. Yeah. And this is a short one, but it ends with the fairy explaining, maybe if you change your ways, your puppet pal might come to life if she has something to live for. 
And off Pinocchio goes back home, now accompanied by the cricket to watch out for him, when they again encounter the fox and cat, who this time convince Pinocchio he can't not give his father anything for Christmas, and on such short notice, he'll have to go and visit Santa Claus himself to get a job teaching toys to dance. And that's where that uh, dancing song that I didn't watch on this version of the special that I watched comes in. And this song is just, wow. I, I mean, it's <laughs> unlike any song in any of the Rankin and Bass specials, clearly indicative of when this was being made and released. I mean, this was probably being worked on in 79 and early 80s. We're in disco time here. For right. It is right. a uh, very 1979 song. Like it really is. But once again, I gotta say, probably my second favorite song of the special. I mean, it's it's kind of catchy compared yeah. to all the other, you know, melancholy and low-key songs that we've heard. The thing with this one is it keeps popping up with just the background music. Mm-hmm. So right. They milk it for all it's worth. It is very catchy. Yeah, it, it, the lyrics are... No, they really it's just, you know, we it's are just, dancing. Just the word but. dancing over and over and over again. But yeah, it's pretty catchy. It's my second favorite song of the show as well. And now we're to fill. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, too, is once you're in this dream sequence where it's Santa's castle, a lot of the a lot of familiar visuals show up here. You look, you see the the reindeers. You see. Uh, Santa kind of walk out and it's like classic Santa, right? Yes. Like it yeah. looks, this is where you get the, like they're using the actual miniatures from the other specials. They are. And this is the visual. This is the idea that gets Pinocchio onto the sleigh to go to what he thinks is the North Pole, but is actually this Duke's mansion to give to his kids. And on the way the coachman sings you know what i'm just skipping that song because it's just that pinocchio makes a distinction that uh this sleigh driver is is saying santa says ha 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 instead of ho 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 and that's wicked glee instead of joyful glee but again they had an hour yeah. fill so that's not right. lame. <laughs> Pinocchio finds out too late he's been tricked, and by this time he's wrapped up and ready to be given to this Duke's children during his previously scheduled three minutes with them before he's got to run <laughs> out and do Duke things. I I gotta say I like the Duke. Yes, I th I think he I like the look of him. I kind of like his like mm, yes, quite his his voice. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> Now, now, no time for sentiment. Open your present. I've got three whole wonderful minutes to spend with you. Then I must be off on affairs of state. He needs a little help with decorating. I mean, there is like no furniture in this house. <laughs> like, you know, everything that? is pure white in this house except for a Christmas tree in the corner. And that's all the decorations there is either. Right. But it's like there's no chairs. No. There's nothing. I mean, the guy doesn't have a bookshelf. I'm like... Where is Mrs. Duke? I mean, like, just from just from a an aesthetic standpoint here with decorating, it could have helped a little She's bit. She's out doing Duchess things. I don't know. She gets right, her own right. three minutes later. Yeah. But they have they have a staff. They could uh, yeah they could put those guys to work. 
find some chairs for this long table you're using to wrap this <laughs> gift. <laughs> Which the kids open up and they aren't at all impressed with the world's only living marionette. They're like, oh, nice. Not rude about it. Just hmm, interesting. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, these jerks. I mean, come on. This is the greatest gift you could get as a kid. Oh, yeah. This makes Teddy Ruxpin look like <laughs> wall, like Walmart garbage. I mean, this thing is get jumps out of the box and starts talking to you. And you're like, oh, OK, uh, it's OK, I guess, Dad. So the Duke starts to head out, and Pinocchio, who spent this whole time trying to get something for his own dad, is like, you ought to be ashamed for only caring about how much I cost. And Pinocchio uh, reprises the fairy song about giving a gift of love, and our Duke's heart grows three sizes. Put your love in a poem, roses are red. Just in time for us to start wrapping things up here, and... That seems to leave Pinocchio without a way home, but with the cricket's appeal to Lady Azora in the sky, Santa suddenly appears right on time, and we just wrap <laughs> things up in a neat little package. Yeah, I had to get a you had to get Santa's sleigh in here. I guess that was a requisite shot, so they're like, All right, uh Yeah, let's have him come up here. Like let's just have him <laughs> show is. up at this point. <laughs> Santa saves the day again. And it's classic Santa voiced by, well, voiced as he often is for Rankin Bass by everyone's favorite ghost host, the wintry named Paul Freeze. Next up, Geppetto's Workshop. Anyone need a lift? Ho, ho, ho. Nice. I didn't realize that. I do like how he is like the year without a Santa Claus version of Santa. Yes. And yeah. Reindeer are too. Like he's, he looks very familiar and very, um, that, that, that's not my favorite of the Rankin-Bass Santa um, specials, but I really like the look of it. Yeah. So we'll see it here, too. I like the look of that Santa best, as opposed to the sort of prototype Santa we got in Rudolph. I do like the frosty one as far as um, the traditional 2D animation goes. That's my favorite mm-hmm. of the Rankin-Bass ones. But yeah. if we're going stop motion, you got to go with that Santa, especially at this point in time, 1980. Yeah. Uh, but that's it. That's as Christmassy as we get. Of note, no Rudolph leading the way, but that's accurate as this takes place in the 1800s. Right, right. We are back at Geppetto's house, and oh, oh, wait, we skipped over this part. Geppetto had found a lifeless duplicate wooden puppet Pinocchio made. That's right. And then quickly discarded by Maestro Fire Eater, because it bombs in its first appearance. So he's just like, ah, this is washed up. It's not going to work. So Geppetto finds this fake Pinocchio in the street, takes it home, sings a whole song about it. I sit here reminiscing, but part of me is missing. My little wooden boy has gone away. What's that? The very best friend I ever had song? Wow, this one feels like it goes on forever. Well, this, this one song. got cut from the ABC Family version, too. So I didn't see yeah. that at first. I had to go back and find it. Yeah, well, this was a smart move by ABC Family. <laughs> the uber sad ballad, and it's just, yeah, it feels way longer than it is. Um, it's funny, too, is in, in before the song, Geppetto kind of is recollecting 
him and Pinocchio's first night together. And, and I quote, he says, he tickled me and kicked me in the pants. And I'm, well, we see kind of go. He knocks his I'm leg like, right off. Right. It's all right. Maybe we probably shouldn't flash back to that and go into more detail. Like, let's just leave <laughs> that alone and move on. Uh, but this is when the real Pinocchio arrives, followed shortly by Lady Azora and the now-alive Julietta, and Geppetto just invites everybody in for Christmas oatmeal for breakfast, and we're mostly <laughs> done here. Well, except here's where Pinocchio randomly asks, Hey, Lady Azora, can you see the future? <laughs> right. Like, did he sense she was a precog? Like, what, what? Where did this power come from? Where all of a sudden she's like, "You might have future visions. You got anything? Any looks as to how my life's going to turn out? You may or may not be a magic eight ball. I mean, you got Santa to the Duke's house like that. So, what other? What else could you do? Uh, but he asks, "Will I always be good?" And she foreshadows the rest of Pinocchio's story we already know: the pleasure island trip turning into the donkey, getting swallowed by the whale. We see little two-second animations of all of that, like they're trying to set up a sequel we already know. Yeah, I I actually in my notes have it like it felt kind of like a weird backdoor pilot for yeah. further adventures. But it's weird because Rankin-Bass already did a Pinocchio TV series. Their first stop-motion production ever was this TV series in 1960 called The New Adventures of Pinocchio. But that was 20 years before this, and it was a whole different model that they used for Pinocchio and everything. So it felt weird setting up this bit right at the end just to be like, oh, hey, remember this? Same guy. Right. It it does feel very tacked on uh, and or they're crossing their fingers for a sequel. Perhaps. Yeah, you learned your lesson in all of Christmas, but you're going to mess up again, kid. <laughs> but spoiler alert, you'll probably be a real boy eventually. Yeah, it's it's very odd. It Because he does go on a journey like there is a character art for Pinocchio in this and then that little bit just kind of uh, discards all of it. So, well, yeah, it's not really going to stick. You're just, you're still going to yeah. be pretty awful. This will all happen again. Yeah. <laughs> Any final thoughts on Pinocchio's Christmas? I feel much the same way about it as I do about any version of Pinocchio, including Disney's. Like I, I love the world of it. I love all the fairies and the talking animals. And they just kind of inhabit this old world European setting and, Nobody really comments on the fact that there's talking foxes and crickets. It's just <laughs> kind of part of the world. And I just, I love the, the, just the world building of it. Um, Pinocchio himself is a super irritating character. Again, in every version, Disney or, or whatever, he's super dumb. Uh, he never learns. He's, his last said, he's naughty. Um, Geppetto is way too permissive and enabling. <laughs> and they're kind of made for each other. Like, I mean, Geppetto is pretty stupid too in this thing. Um, and I don't love how episodic the adventures often are. It's like, you know, we just got to get a series of events where Pinocchio kind of gets himself into trouble. Um, but this version that kind of corrects some of that by, um, kind of sort of tying everything around this loose theme of Pinocchio's exploring his first Christmas and wants to get a present for Geppetto. And, and like as little as this thing has to do with Christmas, there's enough of that in there that actually kind of ties these various stories together. Um, and so, like, 
even though I love Disney's animation, like that's always going to be the version of Pinocchio that I imagine when I think of the story, but this might actually be my favorite version of the Pinocchio story. Um, which is a pretty low bar. Like I'm not like, a super fan <laughs> for Pinocchio, but <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> but um, but I do I like how it incorporates a lot of the adventures from the book, um, but not the same exact adventures that Disney covered. Yeah, I mean this one it, it's it's weird. I've got to say, like this this is a weird one, but it's silly enough that I kind of like it. Right. And it looks great as, as we've been saying throughout uh, this show, but this is a, a really a one where they're forcing it to connect to Christmas. I think they were, it's almost like Rankin and Bass were running out of ideas to kind of keep tur- churning out holiday specials. Yeah. So they were here. I mean, and like this is 1980. I mean, then they end up doing, I think, one more, which is the aforementioned The Leprechaun's Christmas Gold in 81, which is even more of a stretch for them <laughs> to try to go, oh, how do we tie this to Christmas? I mean, it's pretty evident that they're, in terms of their expertise of telling these types of stories, it's clearly on display here, but they're just. They've got their work cut out for them to be able to try to make it a Christmas special, right? Like right. you see them struggling with that a little yeah. bit. They're going, Pinocchio, yeah, sure, we could give that a shot. Uh, <laughs> let me see. He wants to get Geppetto a Christmas gift. There we go. Like it's Thanks. snow is fuzzy rain, right? So I don't hate this. I I like it, and I think some of the songs are 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 kind of fun, but. They're really, they're really working at it to make this connect to Christmas. I'm with you on all of that. I do enjoy this and I still enjoy this, but I also, I feel the same ways about Pinocchio. Like, this is silly because the whole story of Pinocchio is silly. And I'm supposed to feel differently as a father now. It's just like, this kid's a jerk. Those are the correct reactions to this. But again, the animation is great. At least two of the songs are very good. Um, And it's just, it's a likable special as far as those deeper cuts that we get from Rankin Bass. So absolutely Mm -hmm. check this out if you can. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me on this crazy sleigh ride. (laughs) Thank you. This was a fun one to discuss. Thank you for having me, and I await the email when we get to do the Leprechaun's Christmas Gold. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, if people want to spend three precious minutes with you before tending to matters of state, where can they find you, DJO? Well, you can, if you like the sound of my voice, you can listen to me on the classic Film Jerks podcast or the Pop Culture Retrofit podcast. Find those shows wherever you listen to podcasts and just search for those handles on all the social medias because we're there. And Michael May. Uh, I will shout out especially to Slaybell Cinema, which is my Christmas movie podcast. Uh, but uh, I do a few other podcasts as well, which all can be found at michaelmay.online. And this show's at adventcalendar.house if you want to look at some show notes and find some links. And it, we're on Twitter at adventcalhouse. So for Michael Giovanni and Michael May from the finest cricket medical school in all of Italy, this is Mike Westfall saying, careful of the icy patch. To Christmas! To Christmas! <laughs> to Christmas!
Advent Calendar House is part of the Christmas Podcast Network, located conveniently at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Hi everyone, I'm Dwayne from the Tinsel Tunes Podcast, and I have a questionably unhealthy obsession with Christmas, and I love Christmas music. So come with me on a journey as I go into detail about the history and stories behind a wide range of Christmas music. For instance, did you know that Silent Night has the honour of being the most recorded Christmas song of all time? And it has been recorded over 137,000 times by separate artists. Or that White Christmas was actually written in the height of summer. Each song, either recent or a golden oldie, has a background and I want to share them with you. Come join us for our second season and listen at tinseltunes.com. We are on all the main podcast services or you can find us with a simple Google search. Also follow us on all the social networking platforms and I hope to interact with you soon. Next time on the Advent Calendar House. Why don't penguins have wings that work? Comic strip favorites Opus and Bill. In an all new Christmas adventure, a wish for wings that work. Next.